0: Welcome to this special COVID-19 episode of the Caring Greatly podcast. As always, this podcast is focused on issues of leadership and humanity in healthcare, But during the COVID-19 response, we're focusing on the particular challenges raised by the novel coronavirus and its aftermath. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer at Providence. Dr. Compton Phillips conducted a future state visioning process during COVID 19 to allow leaders to envision a future for care at Providence in alignment with their promises know me, care for me, ease my way. Welcome, Dr. Compton Phillips, and thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. You've laid out a three stage process or evolution for responding to COVID 19 and moving out from under its immediate shadow. Can you describe what that looks like and some of the key challenges and opportunities in each stage?
1: Sure. Um, So our three stages, really, we've kind of divided into chunks. And one is respond. And that's the immediate. How do we go um, from where we are today to where we have to be tomorrow and, and deal with COVID itself? The next is recover and how do we actually, in a world where COVID exists, continue to provide care for everybody else and continue to do what we need to do to keep our populations um, in, in all the areas that we serve um, healthy as possible. And then the third one is to grow, and that's to grow into the future that we want to see. You know, our, our vision within Providence is health for a better world. And so how do we use the steps that we're taking in responding and recovering to actually create that future that we all want to see and so it's basically a, a way to ensure that the work that we're doing today even in the response phase is one that helps us create the the stones to cross this rushing stream of unknowns so that we actually arrive onto the bank of the other side of, of a hopeful future
0: what does some of that future look like? What are, and, and what are some of the stepping stones that you're doing today that you might not be doing the same way if you didn't have that future vision in
1: place? Yeah, so let me just take a step back and say responding. And, and very early on, you know, we had our first patient. We actually had the first patient in the U.S. And so we had a little bit of time to think about it before everything exploded. And rather than saying what are the assets we have to, to do to to optimize our assets right that that's kind of the thinking about what do we do in our healthcare system mm-hmm. we said what are the needs going to be in our community and how are we going to meet those needs right so this was back in in phase 1 in the response phase and and kind of our mantra was planning is the antidote to panic let's be ready so that we can we can get there um and and in that res- initial response phase we said um well we're going to have more patients than we know how to care for so how can we triage them how can we test them and how can we treat them in a way that's cohesive and doesn't overwhelm the system and so we said okay so triage we don't want everybody calling on the phone cuz they'll end up in some horrible phone queue and then drop off the line you know that just never right. a good thing so let's let's we know that the best service is self-service. Let's build a chatbot so people can go through their own um, triage set of questions that are, are what our people manning phone lines would do anyway. So, mm-hmm. so we built this self-service trash, uh, chat bot together with Microsoft that then they ended up turning over to the CDC because we said it's not, you know, we don't want it just for us. We want it to put it out into the wild and make it used for everybody. So that's triage. Testing, we said, okay, well, um, now it's old hat, but we don't want a whole bunch of people with, you know, put this potentially lethal disease coming into our facilities to get tested if they don't need to how do we preserve PPE and um and and meet the needs of the community in a different way and that's how we ended up starting setting up drive-through clinics which are now ubiquitous and doesn't seem creative anymore but at the time it was kind of like the only place we'd seen it done was in some video from South Korea so um, and oh, by the way, we even got through the chat bot um, at the end of it. If you needed a consultation, if you needed to speak with the healthcare provider, we just had a button that said click here for a virtual visit. And so we went from 50 virtual visits a day up to over 1500 in the course of about three weeks. Um, and, and so that was, that was a huge thing, but that allowed for us to appoint people to come in for drive-through testing when testing was in such short supply. Mm-hmm. And then for treatment, we said, well, we can't have everybody in our hospitals, um, because how, will, how you know, the, the need is going to overwhelm the, de- the demand will overwhelm the supply. So we started, um, and early on, uh, and are still doing a home monitoring program where we had patients who came into our EDs that weren't so sick, Mm -hmm. um, but they were very high risk um, with all the risk factors that we knew about. And we sent them home with a pulse ox and a thermometer and had them monitored through our tele ICU hubs that we have with our telehealth system so that they could get care at home. And it has a, a, um, out of about 2000 patients now that we've monitored at home, um, we had less than 20 that have had to come in to the hospital for admission. Wow. Um, and we have a net promoter score of about 95. Wow. That's impressive. Better than virtually anything else anywhere, you know, better than <laughs> North and Amazon by, by many points. So it's, it's really um, an environment that patients wanted, but now that whole capacity to triage test and treat patients is one that we're moving forward. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it really did set up. We'd never really had a, the business model to do patient home monitoring before, even though we knew it was the right thing. But we've been building these building blocks to help us create evergreen tools that we can use now for multiple other applications. Um, And so by doing just a little bit of foresight and planning, we're able to move forward from that response to the recovery into into the longer phase of delivering better health. Makes sense.
0: And that technology infrastructure is so critical. But I think, as, as much as that technology infrastructure, there's the experience now that both patients and providers have with using these systems, trusting the systems, understanding the workflow, and knowing that that is um, exceptional care, which also just eases that pathway into that future state as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you did to create this vision of that future state was you convened your leadership in a visioning process to imagine what care will look like in alignment with those three promises, which during a pandemic, creating a, you know, having a virtual convening like that is pretty unusual. What was that like
1: and what did you learn from it? Um, First of all, I would highly recommend it. When hope is running low, we need to give people an how can you picture a different future than you're in today, and especially right now you know we're we are right in the middle of of the throes of of enormous societal upheaval, and one of the things that sustains the soul is is imagining the future in a different way um and so it was it really was um i think the end beginning of march i'm sorry beginning of May that we did this when when uh our hospital admissions were at their nadir. We had physicians who were twiddling their thumbs and nurses twiddling their thumbs while other ones were overwhelmed. And so it was, it was a really disconcerting time. And so we held a virtual offsite and we did it using video technology. We happened to use Teams here. So we did it using um, Teams and we had a, just like you would at another offsite, we had about 200 participants. So it wasn't it wasn't giant, but it wasn't tiny either. Right. We had a little bit of a plenary. We had made videos of what we thought care might be like in 2030 prior to this. So we we used videos to help help paint a picture of what we thought care could be. And then we did breakout sessions. You know, we went on to a break, just like you would at an offsite, and had had assigned breakout groups. And, you know, everyone had their different team calls, and they came up with what, what we need to um, uh, keep doing? What do we double down on? What do we stop doing? And what are some things we hadn't thought of yet? And so kind of came up with some tactical, tactical actionable steps we could do today to help us create that future we wanted to see. And then we came back together and and shared the knowledge and we had our CEO and our CFO and our head of operations listening to these leaders who spent a half a day um, envisioning the future and the feedback afterwards was, this was the most meaningful offsite I've ever done, including all those inspirational meetings I flew across the country to. <laughs> so I, no, I think it really was, it was It was part of, I think, one of the key lessons is you have to listen to their people and, and um, not just tell them what to do, but listen to their understanding of what to do because the answers are out there. We just need to surface them.
0: Mm. And I, I think it's powerful that you had that, that vision, that 20, those twenty thirty videos, which you shared on a, on a HIMSS webinar that we'll link um, on our page with this podcast. So if others want to, want to access it, um, that we're, that we're inspirational, that we're beautiful and that we're in alignment with those, those promises that you have that guide all of your, your care of know me, care for me, ease my way. So um, I think that was very cool. You brought up the societal unrest that we're experiencing. And and that's a really big thing where um, we're recording this on, on June 3rd. Um, we're right in the midst of that. We're dealing with this social unrest based on the longstanding racial inequalities that exist, have existed in this country for centuries. Um, and that even showed up during COVID, right, with the in, in uh, disparities in, in outcomes and things. Does that unrest that has now emerged in the last week or so, does that shift any of your thinking?
1: Um, I think it helps us double down on our thinking um, again. So it's less of a shift and more of a um, critical understanding of how health inequity has gotten us to where we are today. Um, You know, our, our vision, I think I mentioned is health for a better world and, and health doesn't mean health for the rich. It doesn't mean health for the select few that live in the right zip code Health means um, health is an infrastructure for people to have a strong economy and a strong country. And so what is it we need to do to, to envision health for a better world? It isn't just making sure everybody has their own MRI machine. It is more how do you, how do you create the conditions for well-being in every community um, and so, part of what we've been doing within Providence is saying, what does it take for us to to create health for a better world? Part of that is um, how do we have environmental policies so that when we think about, you know, we're a $25 billion organization, we we spend about $6 billion a year in stuff. So when we buy that stuff, are we including the environmental and the chemical footprint? of the manufacturing of that stuff. Because if we're not, don't have a sustainable environment, we won't have sustainable health. uh, Communities of color and communities that live with social deprivation have um, an outsized impact on their environment and then an outsized impact on the health, negative health consequences of that environment, right? Um, How do we we include um, everything from sourcing food to local suppliers? Um, how do we include diversity and you know minority and women-owned businesses as a key attribute of where we put that spend? So there's this whole way we can use ourselves as anchor institutions to create health. But then there's also the policy positions that we can take on on how do we think about how to reorganize the entire healthcare infrastructure so that we're delivering on health for a better world. Um, and so one of the Uh, areas we've, we've been now advocating for is to think about not, not going so far as Medicare for all, but saying that, that primary healthcare um, should be a right and not a privilege. You know, the preventive health services that primary care clinicians provide to be able to control blood pressure and diabetes, to be able to give immunizations and access for the the aches and pains and traumas and depression that that plague so many right now that that access to primary care should be a right and not a privilege and it is a way for us to start addressing some of the incredible inequities and injustices that that structural racism have put into the country fueling the tinderbox that is this moment i'm really glad to hear that and i i do think that's such a powerful
0: way to be having an impact, particularly since that primary care spend is usually some of the most cost-effective, if not the most cost-effective um, spend that, that can be invested. So as, as you look ahead, you've talked about some lessons already, the lessons of convening people to create hope, the lessons of, of building towards a future, not just building in reaction. Uh, but what are some of the
1: other biggest lessons you've learned from the COVID-19 response? Um a few things the The other thing is while we have to build for the future, you're acting in the present, um, but those actions can be deliberate and thoughtful. they don't have to be you know in panic that that we really do think planning is the antidote to panic um, and that that um, not all of our people were ready to hear about this uh, shining future on the hill um, that that the concerns of the present were so overwhelming. That while, as leaders need to be thinking about what are the investments we need to take today, we need to be very thoughtful about understanding that our messaging has to reflect the pain that people are hearing now while we give hope for tomorrow, mm-hmm. not hope for twenty thirty but hope for tomorrow and so so being really cognizant of listening to your people, um, taking the temperature of what's going on and and both letting them speak as well as tailoring your messages to where they are is critically important. So, so the the ability to have um, it's basically high EQ leadership mm-hmm. um, to to be able to um, understand, respond, and create future vision all together is is um, playing three dimensional chess, but critically important as a leadership skill. Absolutely. Um, the, yeah. You know, the, the last thing that I'd say is, is the, the final lesson is that the future involves all of us. It's not one person with their vision that creates a future that people buy into, but it's, it's deep listening and understanding the needs of the community and the organization that serves that community Um that, that, is essential, and so the fact that leadership starts with listening, I think, was just um, brought forward in in spades during this crisis. You know, the the dueling cri- the the triple whammy of the healthcare crisis, the economic crisis, and the inequity and racial disparities crisis um, all together. That if we're not listening and ensuring we're focusing. Um, solutions on the community needs versus on the assets that we have that we will solve the wrong problems. I think that's wonderful advice and certainly in our
0: human-centered leadership models that listening element has come up and as these pieces uh, you know as we've moved through supporting our members with these uh, through these crises as well that listening component has come up and people have gotten really creative about different ways to allow voice to come forward and to amplify voices and, and to really, and I, but I, I think listening is two sides. It's one is making sure those voices happen, but the other is deeply um, uh, taking in what you're hearing, um, even when it goes against what your normal might look like. So I'm grateful that there are leaders like you out there who are doing such wonderful listening um, and creating those visions for the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. We'll continue with special COVID-19 episodes of the Caring Greatly podcast for the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or Spotify, or you can find links to all of our episodes at www.bocera.com slash podcast. This is Liz Bohm. Thank you for Caring Greatly.